Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello there, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and My Time Capsule is the podcast where people tell me five things from their life that they wish they had in a time capsule. They pick four things that they love or cherish, and one thing they'd never want to see again, something they can bury in the ground and forget forever. My guest in this episode is the writer and comedian Jambi McGrath. Jambi is a Kenyan-born, UK-based comedian. She's the writer and star of the Radio 4 hit series Jambi McGrath, Becoming Jambi, a BBC Radio 4 comedy of the week. Jambi is also an accomplished author with her book shortlisted as one of the 20 in 2020 writers announced in The Guardian. Her critically acclaimed memoir, Through the Leopard's Gaze, bravely shares her own attempt to confront her past and is a stunning portrayal of human brutality and human resistance. Her first novel, Rinsing Mukami's Soul, is out at the end of February 2024, and it asks us to question why girls and women are often left to fight for justice in societies that prefer them silenced. Away from writing, Jambi is an accomplished comedian with successful Soho theatre runs, seven One Women Edinburgh Festival shows, and four filmed comedy specials, available on Next Up, Amazon Prime and Trains. She was crowned winner of the 2019 prestigious Hackney Empire Natties Award, joining the ranks of previous winners like Stuart Lee and Lee Mack. Her current stand-up show, Black Black, is a comparison of her grandmother's life under imperialist Britain, with the rise of Nazism and fascism, to her own political climate, with Nazism and fascism on the rise again. Jambi's been a guest on numerous BBC shows, including Front Row, A Good Read, Saturday Live and Loose Ends. And she's also a political commentator, with appearances on Channel 4 and BBC One. So, let's discover more about this amazing woman by hearing the five things she'd want in her time capsule. Here is Jambi McGrath. I ordered your book. 
this morning for when it comes out. I ordered it, but actually yeah. it's because my wife is an enormous reader of uh, new literature. All right. She devours it. So I, I thought so it looked exactly the sort of thing. And then she'll say to me, you should read it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Oh, thank you so much. Because it's, um, I mean, it's, it, I'm nervous, basically, because you're putting your baby out there. You don't know what their reaction is going to be, you know? No, I mean, in a way, when you think about it, um, Through the Leopard's Gaze, that's right. The first book was called, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And that's a memoir. Yes. This, though, is complete invention. And it's actually hard because you have to write something that is convincing. When you're writing mm -hmm. about your life, you know your life. You know yeah. the journey. It is actually quite convincing. But when you're doing fiction, I found I found it quite hard to, to actually make it convincing. But, uh, you know. <laughs> it's more convincing than anything I've ever written, I have to say. <laughs> Where are you? Are you in Ealing, did I read? I'm, I'm in Ealing. Sunny Ealing. Right. It is always sunny in Ealing. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a, do you know what? It's really sunny. And so I feel like I'm away. I'm I'm not even in Ealing until I go downstairs and down this freezing. Yes. <laughs> South of France. Yeah, you can imagine, can't you? Yeah. La Mer is playing in the background yeah. and uh, oh, and people yeah. are sitting there. The faint whiff of gitan cigarettes. Mm. Oh, <laughs> seriously. Where are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, I'm good. I have a house full of grandchildren. Okay. So they're both autistic, so they find school difficult. But my grandson has been doing fantastically. I said, I haven't seen him since Christmas. Yeah. Suddenly he's been going to school. And then yesterday something, you know, he is fantastically sensitive to, uh, to the pain of others quite often, yeah. which, is, which is really lovely. But somebody got told off in class and it's really set him back. It wasn't even him. You know what? We've been talking a great deal about this. There's something fundamentally flawed in the way children are taught these days. Because you must fit into this mold. You must know everything about the Tudors. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's mad. I, I know. And they're like, how are the Tudors affecting my life now? Yeah. Despite what everybody says, you feel that actually they would be better prepared for life if they spent the entire day on TikTok. <laughs> yeah. It really is not fit for purpose. Like I, in my, in my memoir, I talk about uh, my brother and um, the education system in Kenya we inherited from, from the British. Of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. At the end of the term, you do an exam and everything is ranked. So everybody's ranked. So from number one until number 40, mm -hmm. and then it's pasted on the wall so that everybody knows you're number 40. Every single day of your life, you can see yourself at the bottom And at the end of the year, if you don't make the grade, there's a cutoff grade, you have to repeat the year. You repeat so much. So sometimes your neighbor's kid that was born years after you were born goes past you and all of this. And it's humiliating, demoralizing, and awful what? Mm. So we were just saying, how has the information about Tudors helped us in any shape or form? <laughs> <laughs> Your knowledge of Henry the Eighth. You can name his wives, but you don't know how to read a map. <laughs> madness, madness. Oh, but at yeah. least they're with you and um, you understand them. Yes. And it's odd, isn't it? Because there's you and I, we've not met and we come from completely different worlds in many ways. And yet we have this shared experience and it's a very common experience. Do you know, because like I've been listening to this on the news and I was, you know, they were talking about the school refusers. Mm -hmm. refuses as if it's their fault yeah you either behave the way that i expect you to behave yeah or there's something wrong with you yeah yeah and they start to make you feel like you're old you're different and everything mm -hmm. and the thing is like my my daughter is a free thinker like she she just like the way she thinks is so brilliant 
And I'm like, I don't want them to ruin her. They will bash that creativity out of her. Of course, in reality, Jambi, that's what all children are. They've all got this amazing way, a unique way of looking at the world. Mm. My grandson, whose birthday it is today, nine years old today, that's my son's son. The other day, he said to my son, "Uh, I suppose it's too late, isn't it, to ask you for something for my birthday because you'd never get it in time. And my son said, well, I don't know what is it. You know, maybe we can. Have you thought of something you want? I clearly he hadn't. He was just saying it in that sort of, uh, oh, that's yeah. that's the world, isn't it? That's what life's yeah. like. Yeah. You know? And so then pushed into it and saying, well, what would you want? He thought for a moment and then he said, probably fresh food from Japan. <laughs> you will be able to get that on time. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Here's something you can't get. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I've never seen you on stage, but I've watched yeah clips of your work and there's quite a lot out there isn't it you've recorded a lot of stuff it's fantastic oh thank you so um, what we're going to do what we're going to do in this podcast is i'm going to ask you to tell me five things that you'd pick to put into a time capsule Hmm. so um if i ask you that question what would be the first thing you'd put in so the first thing that i put in is uh, a photograph from my childhood Mm -hmm. it's a photograph of my whole family And so you have um, uh, my dad, my mom, my brothers on one side and me and my sisters on the other side. Mm. Uh, we never had, I think that's the only picture we have of all of us as a family. Wow. And um, lately I've become so nostalgic, especially because, uh, you know, writing the memoir and um, doing my fiction, I've become so nostalgic for that very short segment of our lives where our lives were a little bit normal. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that captures a, a period that I'm so nostalgic for that I I sometimes try and put myself into that place because after that, our lives just fell in complete utter mess. Mm. At what age did that happen? So, I, I mean, I, I was 13 when... when uh, I, I, so, so you mentioned through the leopard's gaze. Mm. So, so through the leopard's gaze is literally this. Is um, when I was thirteen, my dad came home, and uh, we, my brothers and I, we, we'd just been running around and playing on the farm. We, we grew up on a farm in central Kenya. Mm-hmm. We'd fallen asleep on the sofas, and we were woken up. We were never supposed to watch TV, and the TV was on, and uh, my dad was very furious, and I didn't know whether it was because of the TV or whatever. And uh, he attacked me. Uh, he beat me up. And the last thing I remember was something coming towards me and I blacked out. Wow. And then when I woke up, it was pitch black and I was by myself. And I feared my dad w- would come back and finish me off. So I thought I'm going to take my suitcase, very, very methodical thinking. I'm going to take my, my blue tin suitcase and I'm going to leave home. I took my suitcase. I walked out through the door and I walked for most of the night. Good Lord. And I I walked through the coffee plantations. And at some point I saw headlights and uh, the car stopped and two men got out of the car and they asked me where I was going. Now I feared that they would take me back to my dad because my dad was known. So I feared they would take me back to my dad. Mm. So I lied to them. I said, I'm going to boarding school. (laughs) <laughs> and of course, you know, I'm 13. These are grown-ups. They can see me. I'm wearing a nightdress. It's covered in blood. So I said, I'm going to boarding school. And they asked me, where is your boarding school? And fortunately, these people did me no harm. 
So they just took me and dropped me close to where I told them. I told them it's in this place, it's in this town called Kembu, but that is where my mother was living now. Right. In the same circumstance. Yeah. Oh, Jambi, that's a, oh, that's an extraordinary story. <laughs> I mean, that's terrifying, isn't it? And and yet this photograph is a yeah. sort of a treasured moment because that's all of you together before yeah. the realisation that, in fact, I mean, there's a great joke you do, which yeah. I, it's amazing that from that you should turn it into that brilliant joke of your father's not sexist, he beat my brothers up as well. Yeah. It's a great joke. <laughs> but um, you can see where that comes from. It comes mm-hmm. from a reality. Yeah. Everything I talk about is reality. Mm-hmm. Just because I've pushed it so far away because it was, I could not, I, I think, I suppose this is children. Children can be, okay, uh, can go through horrendous stuff and then they, they go, go through life and they think that they're normal. Yes. And then something just triggers it. And I suppose this is why you see years later, someone coming up and saying, this happened or this happened, whatever, yep. years later. And people are like, oh, you're in your 40s. Why are you talking about it now? Mm, why did you mention it at the time? Yeah. Yeah. Because it it didn't occur to me. I, I moved. I, I just thought, oh, that just happened and moved away from it. No, no. Uh, you didn't feel that you could say to these two men, my father's beat me up. Look, I'm going to my mother. Please help me. And they probably would have. I'm sure they would. Well, considering what they did, clearly. But yeah. um, generally, I think that is what people are like. People yeah. find somebody, you find a 13-year-old girl in distress and you would help them. Yeah, and so this picture for me, I just look at it and I put myself there because we lived in such an idyllic place mm. in the central province of Kenya. I, I don't know if you've ever been to Kenya. I haven't, no, no. My own experience of Africa is North Africa, really. So I don't even know the bulk of the country. You know. And oh, yet it's, wow. it, it's just the most varied <laughs> continent in the world, isn't it? Oh, 100%. You know, you mm. can go skiing in Africa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can go to the desert. You can climb mountains. You can do everything. Mm. But the central province of Kenya was actually declared by somebody called Sir Charles Elliot in 1902 when he found it as easily the most beautiful and the most fertile place on earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you can literally grow anything. You can grow bougainvillea. And it grows with no effort. And that's right on the equator, isn't it, really? Yeah. Perfect idyllic weather all year round. All year round. <laughs> <laughs> so I just think about those days. The, the um, um, My dad used to, to do business in Kampala, uh, mm-hmm. in Uganda. And so when he was gone, like, we felt no fear. When he was home, we were full of fear. We felt like we are on holiday. Mm-hmm. We live on a farm. And, um, you know, you can just walk around you know, we used to, I used to dress like my brother. So we just used to wear shorts, <laughs> go cutting grasshoppers and chasing butterflies and just plaiting grass and mm-hmm. running around bare feet. And just, it just so, was so idyllic in one way, but quite horrific <laughs> in another way. Well, quite, yes. I mean, it's amazing how children can do that, isn't it? That thing's not here at the moment. Therefore, yeah. I can yeah. get back to being normal. Yeah. His time away gave us those little breaks of normalness. So when I think about my childhood, I think about my childhood as being idyllic and yet horrific. (laughs) Mm, Extraordinary. You end up here, married, children, with the name McGrath. (laughs) (laughs) Who knew? Who knew? Well, okay, well, let's put that lovely photograph of you all in an idyllic, perfect family situation, which uh, in a way is alive, but is something that you like to remember. Yeah. 
Yeah, let's put that in as the first thing to go in the time capsule. Okay, so what's number two? Number two is a doll. And this doll we were given by my dad's aunt. And um, she used to work for an Indian family in in Nairobi. And uh, we didn't play with toys. We don't know how to play with toys because we, we played with nature. So my aunt used to work for an Indian family. Uh, she was a maid and they used to give them um, old stuff that they don't want. And they gave her a pink doll and she brought it home. And my brother and I were completely freaked out by this doll. Uh, <laughs> we, we uh, To us, it was like a baby, but a plastic baby. And we didn't know what we were supposed to do with it. <laughs> the eyes were opening and closing. We actually thought my brother said it was witchcraft. And so we... <laughs> We decapitated the doll. <laughs> <laughs> to save its soul. Yeah, <laughs> we decapitated the doll and we kept the torso because the torso, we, we could we could channel uh, safari ants through the armholes and the leg holes. Yeah. I mean, we had so much fun with it playing that way and storing insects into it and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But we just could never uh, understand the concept of playing with a doll. Yeah. So it provided a, a, a huge amount of merriment and also fear because for us, it was like, what is it? What do you do with it? It looks like a baby. Yeah, but clearly isn't. Was this doll white? Yes. And so we we were like, we, we don't know what to do with it. <laughs> so um, it was very puzzling for us because we, we don't play with toys. We never had toys. No. And when I say this, people think that it's a sad thing. But it's not because we we spent all our lives like chasing grasshoppers. And the grasshoppers were massive. Mm. My brother and I, we used to um, to, <laughs> to go and sit behind the cow mm. and uh, we, we'll be waiting for the cow to do a poo. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and this is because the moment it does a poo, you just hear a buzz from all the dung beetles. And ah. all the dung beetles would just fly in and they would just, it was incredible. They would just come and, you know, turn it into incredible balls and just push it and push it and push it. So in many ways, why would you be interested in an inanimate object when in fact you're surrounded by all this amazing life? Yeah. And and the thing is, like, um, it's never really silent because there's uh, clicking and buzzing and, you know, humming and, you know, the nighttime, really, it's like Mm. chorus, especially because our our house was on the top of the hill and at the bottom of the hill there was a river. So, you know, you have your afternoon chorus, your evening chorus, and your nighttime chorus. Mm. So, uh, yeah, again, it reminds me of those days, this pink doll <laughs> and and um, the merriment that it gave us and, and bewilderment we had uh, trying to figure out what was the purpose of this thing that we'd been given. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's funny, yeah. that thing, isn't it? If you forget how noisy nature is quite often until you go to a warm climate. You almost forget it, and then you you come off that plane, and you go, ah, yeah, that sound, that background sound. That when you left your country and lived somewhere else, in your mind, the place is the same as you left it. Yeah. But then you go there, you're like, oh, why did they build all this? Why? Because, like, Kenya is so different than when, um, you know, when I was growing up, there was significantly less people at the time. And Kenya is big. Kenya is... I think the size of France at the time there was 25 million people. Wow, a lot of countryside. Yes. And and yet growing up on a farm in Nairobi, you didn't grow up in poverty, did you? Relatively. Well, actually my dad came from a pretty horrendous place. So 
and this is the story that I look at. Uh, this is the story that, that I look at because my uh, my parents were actually children during the Mau Mau uprising. Mm. So during the Mau Mau uprising, starting from 1952 to 1960, mm. because pe- when people think about 1952 and Kenya, people think of the Queen's mm-hmm. visit yes. to Kenya. But for my parents, by the end of 1952, Britain had built uh, 804 concentration camps. Good Lord. Yeah. And that's where my, my parents were living. Mm. So they were teetering on starvation. Yes. My dad was a street child, so he was orphaned. So he was a street child. Um, my mother, so she lived in, in this camp, which they were taken to one night. So they were woken up one night by dogs barking and screaming and shouting. And they stepped outside. So she was eight. There was commotion. There was dogs and soldiers and the village was on fire. Mm. And they were caged lorries, so they were all put in the caged lorries, oh. the men in separate lorries and the women and children in separate lorries. So they were driven to this to a field. Uh, so they stayed there in the field for about four months uh, with no accommodation, <laughs> nothing. Oh so they were God. sleeping on the grass yeah, night and day. So, so they spent four months there and they couldn't leave because they were surrounded by watchtowers and barbed wire. So she, she spent four months there. And then after that, uh, my grandmother... Uh, she and other women, because it was just women and children now, they had to build their homes. Uh, so they had to go to the forest and take trees and build them using string and everything. Mm-hmm. And that's what became their home for eight years. It's odd how people are, particularly, well, people in this country are willing to very easily dismiss a colonial past as if, well, it's yes. it's a long time ago and they were different people, yeah. you know, and not take responsibility for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's interesting you living in this country with that knowledge. These yeah. um, Mau Mau uprising is really people saying, will you stop invading our country? Yeah. yeah. And it's not even that. I say if the British had been just a little bit more reasonable, mm-hmm. they still would have had a colony. But it, it, it wasn't enough. See, see, for us, the Gekoyo people, we were predominantly vegetarian bordering on vegan mm-hmm. because meat for us animals were currency so you just didn't eat meat or we did it for rituals and therefore we basically lived on vegan we were entirely vegan mm. because my family are from the central province of kenya so when sir charles Elliot was sent to come and evaluate the land for occupation he literally said the central province of kenya is the most fertile and the most beautiful and the best place on earth mm. but then they had to find something to do with the agikoyo people <laughs> So they did what they do. They just burned villages and when the people run away, uh, they um, hold it into native reserves. And then, so now they're in native reserves. They have no way of accessing food. And these are vegetarians. And they did that Mm. because they wanted to force these people into abject poverty so then they can go and work for the white settlers. Mm -hmm. Now now they're unable to find food for themselves. So they are being forced that if you want and you have to pay hard tax, you, you have to, yeah. And you've got no source of income. You've got no money. You've got nothing. You've lost everything. Your house has been burnt down and somehow you have to pay hard tax. And mm. therefore, and if you don't pay hard tax, you know, these guys weren't messing around. If you don't pay hard tax, uh, they'll give you a warning. <laughs> and, uh, and then somebody would come and, you know, slaughter the man and that's it. The family's left with nothing, no one. So people are, fearless, are fearful then. So then they have to go and work for the settlers and the settlers are very cruel and uh, they torture them, they beat them. They're basically just given enough food to keep turning up to work, mm-hmm. but not, never enough. And then um, 
the government is then asking the Red Cross to come and feed these people who are starving. These are the, the images that you see of Africans. <laughs> no. And also, we then talk about, well, we were one of the first people to ban slavery. We were very egalitarian. <laughs> with you know, But in fact, slavery can be a different thing. It doesn't have to be actually just what it was. That clearly is just pushing people into a situation where they have no choice. And anybody who has no choice in life is a slave. Of course. So my grandmother, all her life, because my grandmother was born at the start of the, the arrival of the British settlers. So for her, all her life, she was in forced labor, mm. but never paid, never given food or whatever. She was literally a slave. That's what my grandmother was. Yes. So the slave law just changed. It didn't go away, just changed. <laughs> no. What an extraordinary journey you've been on then in those few generations. Oh, yeah. So so then in 1960, uh, the camps closed and um, they, they are ordered to demolish them. Mm -hmm. And that is how my mother and my father be begin their life, mm. literally out of nothing. Yes. And my dad was a very uh, shrewd, industrious businessman. Mm -hmm. He was able to actually buy a farm and build a home. Yes. So I was born into that. Do you think that hard life that he'd had, do you think that imprisonment and the toughness of it all excuses in any way his behaviour towards you? He is an orphan and uh, no one is looking after you because no one has anything to give. No, and you have no guidance. You have no guidance. Yeah. You have nothing. Yeah. Literally nothing. You have no one to offer you a fruit to eat or anything because nobody has any. And uh, actually my, uh, my aunt's, my grandmother, great aunt, I don't know what you yeah. call her. Oh, but we, grandmother's sister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we just call her, uh, we just call her grandmother. She decided that the kindest thing to do for, for my dad and his sister was to drown them. Oh. Yeah. Oh, my word. So she took them to a lake, which is, is, is a swamp called Ondiri. And she took them there with the intention of drowning them. Mm. But then she couldn't, so she ran away and she left them there. Oh, it's a, that's an extraordinary thing to have gone through. Yeah. Extraordinary hardship. And in many ways, as you say, a lot of these hardships were caused by the British. If they'd just been a little bit kinder, there was plenty there. Everybody could have had a great time. There, there weren't that many settlers also. No. They did not want, you know, 50,000 acres of land. Mm. They didn't need that. 50,000 acres of land. And all the Gekoi were asking I just want an acre yeah. to grow food for my family. Mm -hmm. It's all they want. They, they didn't want cars. They didn't want anything. And actually one thing that they observed is how little they desire, they acquire desire. They, well, they really did not need or want for anything. No. We just want to walk to the river and, you know, do this and whatever. So they needed actually very little. Mm. And had they been a little bit lenient, the colony would still have been, but they didn't, they want because fundamentally... This is based on supremacy. And supremacy is that you cannot, because they actually wrote the constitution that they wrote in Kenya, they had something called the prestige of whiteness. Uh. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the prestige of whiteness means that you as a black person cannot give eye contact with a white person. Uh. And uh, you must allow yourself to be beaten. And of course, nobody's going to accept that. No. <laughs> and then also... Part of the prestige of whiteness is that we were never to have a political voice. So, for example, you could never even go to the British government and petition them. Mm. If you had something to say, if you wanted to petition them, uh, you had to go to a missionary yes. and tell the missionary your grievance. So the missionary was to speak on your behalf. Mm. And of course, the missionaries are there for another purpose. They, are, they have a different agenda yeah, yeah. to you know, completely wipe out your own religion. Mm. 
and um, impose the you know Christianity onto you because like our religion was very profound, very deep. Everything about us was very religious. Mm. Uh, so they wanted for you to forget your God, and our God is actually very similar to the biblical God. <laughs> you believe that our God is a supreme, almighty, all-seeing, all-believing, all, all you know. He's uh, untouchable, unseeable, and um, he is the one and only God. We believe that he also gave commandments on top of Kirinyaga. Kirinyaga is Mount Kenya that was renamed. And so what they're trying to tell us, no, no, that's not your God. Your God is, uh, and we're like, what's the difference? Yes. You know, but there, there is Jesus. Okay, Jesus is new to us. Mm-hmm. We don't know a great deal about Jesus, but we know God because he has no children. He has no mother. He has no father. And and we say that uh, because our God did not want to be worshipped in um, man-made temples under sacred trees. And mm-hmm. so they said, okay, we will cut down these trees and you'll see your God doesn't exist. Yes. We'll build a church on top of it. Yes. Yeah. Mm. That, so this, this is a role of the missionaries. So they're very busy with their agenda. So they're not going to, they don't even care. You know, no. the poorer you are, the more likely you are to go to church and be converted and listen to what they're saying. So mm. they were all part and parcel of the same thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. And yet, wonderfully, you were taught about the Tudors. <laughs> we're all still taught about the Tudors, as if that's what's important. And in fact, this area of our history, we know nothing about. Nobody ever tells us anything about it. But what's even more astonishing is that my own family literally lived in concentration camps. Yeah. But the children in Kenya are not taught about how we gained our independence. How is it that these people, with literally no weapons, were able to actually make the British live yeah. because they made Kenya ungovernable. Mm-hmm. Yet the children in Kenya are not even taught any of this stuff. They don't know. Amazing. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. All they know is we got our independence. That's it. Well, I should imagine the inference of that is that we very generously, we the British, very generously gave it to you, which is why we should all be best friends. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, lovely. That's right. Well, no, well uh, it's almost as absurd as giving you a little white baby doll. People say, but at least you speak English. <laughs> if you kidnap someone and you touch them, I don't know, Chinese or something, <laughs> it's not a gift. But you know what? I, I suppose ignorance is good because, you know, you can fill people with propaganda. Mm. You can fill people with propaganda, tell people Africans are poor and helpless, are unable to do anything for themselves. Yep. And yet we literally kicked out. Uh, the superior powers that had bombs and planes and everything mm-hmm. that they had to relinquish most of Africa because of the actions of Africans. Yeah. They went from these people are savages. This is why we're going to take them, whatever, to these people are so poor, they're pathetic. Please just give them your leftover food, give them your leftover this <laughs> and whatever. Mm. It's incredible. So they completely flipped their picture. Yeah, yeah. These terrorists who fought very hard for our independence to now be a completely, utterly pathetic. And the only thing that the British can do is send us your old clothes. <laughs> yes. Incredible. Well, it's not a great history. It's nothing to be proud of from this <laughs> point of view, I have to say. But um, we will put that that little doll into the time capsule. That's, that's yes. your next item. So we, yeah. we have to move on to uh, number three, I think, mm-hmm. We have to take a short break now to give the podcast provider you've chosen the opportunity to play some ads. But we'll be back as quickly as we can. Cheers. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back. Don't forget, if you'd rather receive this podcast ad-free, then check out the very reasonable subscription to Acast Plus, which will remove all ads for you and let you hear our special bonus episode every Wednesday. It's a fairly exclusive club, but we'd love you to join it. In the meantime, let's get back to Jambi McGrath and find out what else she's going to choose. Number three is uh, something that I've never really talked about. But it is uh, my wedding bedsheets. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's not what people think it is. No. So our wedding, my husband and I, we are very similar in that we are party animals. We just love to have a good time and whatever. And so we uh, we got married in a really nice hotel in central London. Mm-hmm. And because they wanted to capture the essence of uh, my Kenyanness, so they did the flowers for our Buds of Paradise and very tropical. They had all these decorations around the hotel with these amazing flowers, but they were inside a tomato. So they would get these great big beef tomatoes and they put the flowers in them. <laughs> and so my mother-in-law, <laughs> my mother-in-law thinking that she's, she's going to make things even more romantic for us, mm-hmm. she just took a few of them, the flowers, and she put them on our bed on the pillows. <laughs> yes. And of course, when we came back, we just jumped on the bed. And of course, the tomatoes squished and the belly. <laughs> Absolutely. So not as romantic as putting a few <laughs> rose petals on then. So the tomatoes squished all of our bed. <laughs> and so we were thinking, my God, what are they going to think that we were doing? Because the bed is a mess. It's full of all these tomatoes <laughs> and they're everywhere. And they're going to think, oh, my God, what a ritual this, these people had with tomatoes and all sorts. <laughs> and um we just couldn't stop laughing, just thinking that, you know, of course, that, that's the bride of sweets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'll be thinking, wow, quite a bride. <laughs> <laughs> so did you take them off? Well, with the bed sheets. Oh, yeah, we, we, we took them off and we left them on the side. And they must have thought, uh, each to their own. Yeah, let them imagine what they want. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what on earth would they have been doing with tomatoes in the bed. <laughs> and, uh... It must be a Kenyan tradition. <laughs> Oh, yes. What a way to celebrate getting married. Yeah. And we were like, but why would she even put them in the bed? 
said. Yes. She thought she was being romantic, putting them there. And yeah, I mean, we just came back, you know, really drunk. We had such a party and just went, oh my God, what the hell is all of this? It's just splotted tomatoes everywhere. Uh, it's a very <laughs> difficult thing to be a mother-in-law, I should imagine. It, yeah, it was just, just so incredible. Mm. But uh, yeah, good for her. <laughs> <laughs> Done with the right intentions, but really yeah. the wrong yeah. method. fantastic let's put those bed sheets in that's number three okay so number four number four i i mean this this one is really hard but i thought that i would like to put the name tags of my babies into there because i treasure them so much Uh, yeah you know the first time the first time it's written on you that this is your baby Mm. And it's stuck on their wrist, and you're like, "Oh my god!" Like there is, is there the, the writing is clear. Yeah. This is my baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I I, I have two daughters, uh, yeah. you know, uh, beautiful souls, and it changed. Obviously, you know, your dad, and mm-hmm. you know, having kids change everything for you. But yeah. um, my daughters, you know, when I look at my daughters' lives and my mother's life worlds apart it's an astonishing journey and as i said earlier i think it's amazing when you look at so example your grandmother or great aunt is considering that a better way for these children would be for them to drown Um, yeah and suddenly now you have these children living in london going to nice schools yeah yeah and it's incredible the kind of life that they have had is just utterly amazing Mm. and uh, of course because i i spent my life in boarding school because that's what that was the damn thing. Yeah, you went to boarding school, and um, oh, I, I, I really, truly, honestly hated boarding school. It was so lonely. I was so homesick and everything. Mm. But when I um, I had my my girls, I was like, "You are never gonna go to boarding school. I'm gonna smother you. I'm just gonna." just hold you and just be there for you. Mm. It, it was so incredible to have had the opportunity to mother my, my girls the way I would have wanted to be mothered. Mm. <laughs> uh, so I, I would like to treasure those name tags because it's just, it's the first time you have the opportunity to to be the parent that you craved so much. Yes. I don't have them, but I absolutely remember them. The tiny, <laughs> yeah. tiny little things. When, you, when they take them off, they cut them off. This tiny, tiny little band. You can't believe that it would fit around a human's wrist. Yeah. As you say, it is a fantastic thing to read the name of your child. We couldn't make up our mind. <laughs> the names. Yeah. Our daughter, we knew. My wife had one name in mind. And then just when she was born, she went, ah, there she is. And she she yeah. knew her name just by looking in her eyes, as it were. It's amazing. For us, we have a very strict naming system. And also we are, we have plans as well. Mm-hmm. So we we are very restricted right. how we name, and of course, if I if I didn't name that way, it would have been so upsetting for my my parents. So, and I didn't want to break away from that because that would have been so awful not to follow that tradition. Yeah. So I was talking, telling you about our God guy, and uh, what we the Kikuyu people believe is that uh, guy, our God, uh, he created the earth and the universe. Mm-hmm. That he created the first man, and he gave him a name. He called him Kikuyu. Koyo is the name of our tribe. And he took him to the holy mountain of brightness, which is uh, Mount Kenya. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's where we believe that when a God comes from heaven, he has four earthly residents. And that is the main uh, earthly residence. And the reason there is snow at the top is because the snow is God's bed. <laughs> so he takes him to the holy mountain of brightness and he says, look down below. Over there, 
there is a garden of fig trees and go to that garden and in there, there is a woman. So go over there and name her. So he goes there and he named her Mombi, which actually is a version of my name. Yes. And so he names her Mombi, which basically means the creator or the woman of the universe, because mm. this is the first woman on earth. Yeah. And so the ten, uh, the, the two of them, they give birth to 10 daughters. And these are the 10 matriarchs of the 10 clans of the Agikoyo people. Right. So we are matrilineal. So each one of us um, identify with our matriarchs. So one of the do- one of the daughters was Washera, and that's who I am, Moshera. Mm-hmm. My children have to be Moshera. That is our clan. And of course, if you, if you get married to someone who from, from the Gekuyu tribe, then you, you adopt their matriarch. Mm-hmm. So the oldest daughter is named after the father's mother. I only ever was going to have two children. And uh, of course, my husband, he did, they don't practice that. And so I named my older daughter after my mother. And uh, she was uh, so ecstatic. Mm. She was so happy. But I don't have any sons. So I wouldn't name anyone after my, my father because you're supposed to name after your father. Yes. So we know what we're going to call our children before they're born. Right. That's a relief almost, isn't it, I think? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's a very <laughs> difficult choice to make. I, yeah. I mean, it's difficult just picking a name out of thin air. Mm. But we decided, obviously, because my our children are mixed. So they have two names uh, each. Lovely. Yeah. And the, the, the second daughter, we just came to the name independently by the same name. Mm. But my husband came home and said, what do you think about this name? I was like, oh, I was literally thinking about that name. That name. <laughs> like, okay, there's not going to be any arguments here. Fantastic. Those different name tags, though, the start of the journey. It's a very comforting thing to know that cycle of life and that thing going yeah. on. And, uh, and yeah. who knows where the world will go. My grandson just this morning quite extraordinarily dressed as a woman called Greta, who is a very old lady, because if ever he finds that I have a check, he says old ladies like putting checks into banks. And so, <laughs> so he then goes upstairs and comes down as Greta with a wig and an old lady's hat and a handbag. Oh, amazing. He, it is amazing. And I very proudly walk through the town centre with him and he keeps it up all the way through. And every now and again, I call him Natty and he says, Greta, of course, <laughs> of course. But he was yeah. saying to me, I said, how old are you, Greta? He said, well, I'm only 85. She said, I'm just young. <laughs> I said, oh, well, that's good. That's a good age. She said, yes, but Natty, who knows where the world is going to be? He might live to 250. And I said, that's very true. That's very yeah. true. Abraham in the Bible lived for how many years? 900 years. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get back to that. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Okay, well, we've got one final thing to put in, Jabby. We've got to put in the thing that you'd like to bury and forget. Um, chalk. Chalk. Why? Because chalk for me especially has several things. In schools, uh, the teachers hit you with a chalk. Mm. <laughs> the dog's unhappy with that. <laughs> yeah, that was, she must have had some. She must have had uh, the dog. Uh, yeah, yeah. She'll come down in just a minute. Mm. Okay. So chalk. Um. So I didn't. <laughs> Willow, come, come, Willow. So chalk. In school, the teachers just hit you with a chalk, mm-hmm. and I hated the noise sometimes when they were writing, and it was just like, uh, yeah. You know, it just brings the memories of the classroom. You know, like we were just talking about the classroom and mm. how those classrooms were just 
you know, it, it felt more like doing time. <laughs> yeah. Especially yeah. if at the end of the day, you're not going home. Yeah. Yeah. Boarding school was really hard for me. So, yeah, I absolutely just did not. Uh, I mean, academically, I did well. And um, like I say my in my book, uh, boarding school was easily the, the best and the worst thing that could ever have happened to me. Mm. It was a good school, so I learned quite a lot. And that's kind of helped me where I am today. Mm. It's one of the reasons, though, isn't it, why people who've been to boarding school and then will tell you that they had a horrible time there will still send their children to boarding school yeah. because they say, yes, but look where I am. Look how successful I've been. And that will be down to the fact that I had that sort of education. Even if that's what it achieves, it's not worth it for the damage it does to you as a child. Yeah, so much damage because, first of all, it distances children from their parents. Mm. Nobody cares for you. Uh, you could be sad, you could be lonely. And I struggled. So sometimes I ran away from school. Mm-hmm. And one time my dad was, uh, I actually ran away to go live with my grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> it was just coming on to the evening and my grandmother was settling in for the night and then she hears a knock mm. and I'm there. And uh, she's, you know, I'm really young, 10 or something. Right. And I say, I want to come and live here with you. <laughs> and of course that caused chaos in the school because in my head I thought, that the headmaster would just go, we've got a child missing. Oh, well, we've got others, you know. That's what I thought would happen. <laughs> and of course, that's when my house mother discovered that I wasn't there. Mm. And uh, so chaos, everybody looking for me. And there's a child missing. What could have happened to her? So th- then they found out that uh, my grandmother didn't live too far from the school. And so the first thing that the headmistress did was get the messenger to get onto his bicycle and cycle to my grandmother's to see whether I would be there. <laughs> and uh, I, I was just thinking, I'm never going to go to school again. I'm living here with my grandmother. Marvelous, Life is beautiful. Yes. And uh, we hear a knock and it's a school messenger here to take me back to school. And he put me on his bicycle and cycled all the way to school. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. You were a very determined young girl, though, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of knew what I don't want, you know, mm-hmm. and I suppose being a middle child and, and, you know, our parents were, you know, being distant and uh, being uncared for, nobody feeling, I don't know. It was, it's really weird. It's actually quite sad because mm-hmm. people could be mean to you and you'd have to just go to bed and cry all night by yourself. You know, it's, it's a hard, hard yes. thing to do. It's funny, isn't it? People say that those sort of things quite often cause the same behaviour to happen again. But actually, I think that remembering it, clearly you've gone, this will not happen to my children. Uh, You know what? I knew for sure that I wanted to be there for my children every single waking moment Mm -hmm. of their lives. Mm -hmm. And luckily, they do say that they had a lovely childhood. I I suppose I was trying to capture what I I missed most as a child, is the softness, just, you know, coming Mm -hmm. home and feeling loved and cared for and wanted, you know, Yes. follow the law, follow the law. You wake up at this time and we had no time to rest. You know, it was, it's difficult because you have all have to wake up every day at, um, and the bell went at seven and then you had prep. So we would just have a bit of time to play in the late afternoon. And then you go to back and then you'd go to the bathrooms and have a shower and then go to supper. Mm. And after supper, you'd go for prep again. You'd finish prep. And then you go to the dormitory, lights off and sleep. Yeah. I very much doubt that when it comes to the end of life, that people look back and go, oh, I can't believe how disciplined I was. My children would come from school and we would just, they would run to the park, we'd go to the park and they would play and we'd just push them on the swings mm-hmm. and collect conkers and just 
just, you know, be children, yeah, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And um, for us, that, that discipline that just gave you butterflies all the time because you're like, oh, God, I'm late for school. Oh, my shoes are not polished. Oh, mm. for what? Who cares? Yeah, yeah, quite. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's take a yeah. great big box of those horrible chalks, those yeah. chalk sticks, and we'll put it in there and you never have to think about them again. Yes. It's gone. Yes. Marvellous. Yeah, lock it up. Yeah. <laughs> Jambi, it's, uh, it's been really lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much for doing this. I look forward to reading Rinsing Bukabi's Soul. I do hope that you enjoyed. Thank you so much. And I am very honoured to have chatted to you. Thank you for your time. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Jambi McGrath. Of course, since we recorded this episode, I've read Jambi's memoir, and it's an extraordinary book. I look forward to reading her novel soon. If you've enjoyed this episode, and I hope you have, then we have plenty more available, and two new ones every single week. So do subscribe, and you'll always have instant access. If you have the time to rate and review us and have nice things to say, then we'd be delighted. If you didn't enjoy yourself, then just for reference, this podcast is called Off Menu. Do follow us on social media to see what we're up to and what's coming up. And we're very happy to chat there if you have any questions or suggestions. Not that suggestion. You can also email mytimecapsulepodcast at gmail.com. The theme tune by Past the Peas Music is available on Spotify, and this was a cast-off production for Acast. It was skillfully produced, as ever, by John Fenton Stevens. Right, I must get on. I've just started rehearsals for Wicked in the West End. Yet, yeah, have I mentioned that? Probably not. Anyway, I've got to practice my songs. Yeah, the musical director told me I had to, which is a bit worrying. The other day I asked him if I could sing them in E-flat. He said, yes, yes, of course. We'll play them in F, and as you've already shown, you can flatten them yourself. Wish me luck. Bye. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness, and they come in five different flavors. They're so good wild berry acai grape pineapple mango lemon and mandarin orange my favorite is the wild berry because i just i just love a berry so if you're like me and you're drinking water all day then try splash refresher it's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you